0: the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Uh, Lord,
1: we ask that you'd come and speak to us through these passages as we uh, look to you. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Great to have you with us, especially if you're visiting. If we've not met, my name is Dave, and as you can tell, um, I'm the professional in our midst, hence the, the black attire, and I'm kidding. Uh, I am on staff here, and um, as an attempt at humor, more may come. You may not know the hour or the way, but the Lord, the Father knows, so there we are. Advent is, as you could tell, when we bring out our pyrotechnics, we bring out the Charles Dickens confessions, you know, we throw in the thou's and the these, and it kind of wakes us up, oh, this is different, and it's meant to be a season of waiting, uh, but a very specific time of waiting, a waiting that is full of expectation, and one that is full of anticipation. And it's all about remembering that he, uh, in a way, the professionals, the the scholars say it's waiting like an expectant mother. Uh, I have no idea how to relate to that. Um, But there is something, isn't there, about that kind of not a passive waiting, but an active waiting. I remember when we first discovered that we uh, were expecting Ethan, a pile of books appeared on the side of m- my side of the bed. And it was a sense that the waiting should be taken up by reading those books, which I didn't. But um, we figured it out. Uh, actually, I just followed Rachel's lead. And, uh, but as any expectant mother knows, waiting involves preparation. It, require, it, it involves exercise. involves nutrition, care, prayer, work, and then birth involves pain, blood, tears, joy, release. And it also involves community. It's called labor for a reason. And so we're in a world that is pregnant with hope. We're in a world Uh, That is living in an expectation, and sometimes, and most of the time today, there's an unknownness to that expectation. So, what is the expectation we're waiting for? But it's the coming of God's kingdom on earth, and as we wait, we work, we cry, we pray, we ache, and we're the midwives, in some ways, spiritually, of another world. Sometimes, we can forget that Advent's really about remembering two comings— Remember that Christ first came as a baby. I mean, we're all looking with, waiting with eager anticipation for the nativity on the 24th of December, which will be here at 3 p.m. The, the bulletin uh, is inaccurate. We have it at 5, it's going to be at 3, where we'll have, last year we had 120 kids on stage. We'll probably have, I don't know what, 500 We've already established previously that I can't count when I walk into this building, so I don't know how many children there will be, but it's, it's always so much fun, isn't it, to remember that? But we're also waiting for his second coming. And this is what our reading from the prophet Isaiah uh, talks about. And uh, if you have your bulletin, uh, open it up. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time looking at these five verses. And as we go through these next four weeks, towards Christmas, we'll be really majoring in the literature that uh, is, is in the lectionary from Isaiah. And what we see here is that Isaiah is addressing two things. What does it mean to wait with expectation? What does it mean to wait with anticipation? You'd be forgiven for equating the two with, as the same meaning, but they're slightly different. To wait with expectation Is a strong belief that something will happen. To wait with anticipation is waiting with a sense that someone will arrive. So, expectations about something's going to happen, anticipation is that someone is coming, someone will arrive. And so, if you look down with me in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, we see that the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem and it's these five verses are about hope and the hope that is available to us as we actively wait another thing that the scholars among us will notice is that th- this passage is almost identical to what the prophet Micah refers to in chapter 4 maybe they borrowed from each other or maybe the lord told them to say the same thing Um, There's plenty uh, of discussion about that. But look down with me in verse 2, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted above the hills. The latter days is an expression that means the future beyond the horizon. So what's on the horizon for you today? Well, I know you're all coming at 4.30 for an ugly sweater Christmas wreath party. I mean, I'm just, I just can't wait. I've been waiting to put that sweater on all year, right? But that's, but what's beyond the horizon? Is it after Christmas? Is it after next year? Is it in 10 years? What is beyond the horizon? Because there's a future beyond the horizon. What is it for you? And this is where Isaiah begins to talk about anticipation, about waiting for someone to arrive. And he has someone in mind. We are eagerly anticipating the arrival of my mother-in-law on the 9th of December. She loves brisket, and I'm going to feed her brisket for 21 days (laughs) because we want her stay to be glorious. But... Isaiah here is referring to the Messiah. He's referring specifically to the time when Jesus will come and inaugurate his kingdom here on earth. We are awaiting the moment when he comes again to complete that work. We have a taste now of what is to come. And we're still waiting with expectation that something will happen this second arrival. What's unusual here is Isaiah's use of the term latter days. It's an intentional play on words to indicate that this message of hope is meant to be true both today and over the horizon. It's true today, and it's also true for when he comes in fullness So hope, peace, and joy, the great themes of Advent can be experienced in this act of waiting. God is moving in history. That's the expectation of the prophet. He's increasing his work of hope in the world until one day it will be fully realized. What is the expectation? What will happen? What will be the case in the future? And this is where tension comes in. Because remember, a strength is found in tension, and it's and it's found when two very loaded words come onto the horizon. They are the words judgment and the words salvation. The day of judgment to the hearers of Isaiah, as in the first century, understood the day of judgment to be a very good day. It was going to be a very good day, because it was not a day to be afraid of. It's only recently that judgment has taken on a cloak of fear and has come to mean punishment, and preachers in the last few decades have mistakenly given congregations a false sense that on the day of judgment, God is going to punish you for all that you did wrong. How, how can I say that? Well, others have said it, so it's not, it's not an original thought to me. But just think about this for a moment. Jesus has take upon, taken upon himself the punishment, I'll talk about me, The punishment that I deserved. You may have seen this illustration if you're with us on Alpha. If you weren't, you get this for free. Imagine this Bible is Jesus and I am the Sunday's bulletin. The scriptures talk about, uh, Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, literally, the bulletin is in the Bible, I am in Christ. Whatever happens to this book happens to the bulletin. If I throw it to Stephen and he catches it, it's caught. If I throw it to Stephen and he doesn't catch it, it still happens to the Bible and the bulletin. If we submerge it in water, both become wet. Christ has died and has risen from the dead. It happened to the book. It happened to me if he has taken the punishment that was deserved for the way that I made an absolute mess in the lives of others and that punishment's been taken care of, punishment is no longer an option for me because my imperfect track record has been replaced with his perfect track record. Which means then the day of judgment is no longer about punishment. Because it's off the table. Well, what is the day of judgment about then? Well, to the first century hearers, punishment, I mean, punishment is off the table. What first century hearers heard is the day of judgment was a day of hope. It was a a good day. It was a day when the oppressed, those who've been discriminated against, those who haven't had a fair trial, those who have suffered... Those who are currently on death row because they didn't get the justice that the rich can afford. Those people, the day of judgment becomes a day when Jesus steps in and makes it all right. He writes the injustice, he mends the brokenhearted. Thomas Aquinas says this, that on that day when Jesus comes, his presence will transform our bodies into resurrection bodies, and yet they will still bear the scars of this life because to the degree degree that you have been mistreated, suffered, and hurt, he will pour out his love into you so that his glory makes up for what has happened. And so our scars in this life become transformed into badges of glory, because our very scars on our frames will tell a wonderful story of the wonders of his love. He doesn't reinterpret what happened to us as being good. It was still bad, but he makes up for it. So, economically speaking, it's not about breaking even. It's about tipping into abundance. That's what the day of judgment is about. And then we have this carrying on. So, what is judgment? Judgment's actually a day of hope. Look down again, It it gets even more, in a way, poetic. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Now, the mountain of the Lord isn't the highest mountain. If you consider all the mountains of the world, it is not even impressive. I mean, K2 is, wow, you know, Everest. You know, everyone's dying to get up to Everest. The mountain of the Lord is not the most impressive. But what's significant here is that it's a place chosen by God. I love that because especially as we come towards Christmas... There's a temptation to make everything spectacular, special, or, to quote our modern day poet, Keanu Reeves, awesome. On the 30th of October, I took my son to Home Depot and I said, Thomas, this is the year. We bought Christmas lights. And we put them up in our backyard, so not to offend the more Advent conscious who would say it's too soon. But there's something in us, isn't there, that wants to make every some of these moments special, spectacular, and awesome. But what makes the mountain the highest, the reason why it's lifted up, is because of Jesus, not because of any attributes that would make it stand out. Just ordinary. But what changes it from ordinary to exalted is the one who has come into relationship with that place and with that person. It's interesting, is he goes on in verse, at the end of verse two, and says, All the nations shall flow to it. Why are the nations flowing to this place where God is? Because they want to meet him too. They want to meet him too. If we move down to verse four, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And this is the, And this is where we get something very exciting. We see here what it looks like to wait with anticipation, to wait with a sense that someone will arrive. When Messiah arrives, what will our expectations be? that the nations will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore." It's tough, isn't it, to wait with expectation? We're all pretty familiar with at least one area of conflict today, the war in Ukraine. But there are five other active theaters of war in the world at the moment that don't get as much press. Maybe it's because they don't look like us as much. There's war in Afghanistan, there's war in Ethiopia, there's war in South Sudan. Syria is still at war, as is the Yemen. If ever there was a time when we needed an end to violence. It's today, and this doesn't even account for domestic situations where there's conflict and violence happening everywhere. It's incredible. We need, we need the return of the Messiah to bring this work of peace into fulfillment for all conflict to be eradicated. It will take Jesus' return, but for a taste of peace today in our city, there are things that we can do now. Did you know that members of our congregation work for the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center, championing the cause of those who don't have a voice? We have members in our congregation who you will know. Um, Maddie and Esther, would you just stand up? They work with those who've been displaced by conflict with For the Nations, uh, which work with refugees. We have uh, Lynn at the front, who works with Buckner. Come on, stand up, Lynn. I know you'll hate it. Enjoy it. Works with Buckner International. And so many more. Now that I've named a few of you, I've forgotten the rest. I apologize. But there is a a heartbeat to this church that seeks to rush in and to serve those who've been so badly affected by conflict. And one of the things that we could do here in our midst is we can pray. We can also serve. And there's a serving opportunity that Maddie and Esther would love to tell you about with Four of the Nations Outreach. Um, you can speak to them afterwards over coffee, but really, um, they need help. They've had a Christmas store and they need help with volunteers to help tear down the Christmas store because they've already reached... All of the, they've already received all the gifts they need. Right? No, they haven't. They need more gifts. I've gotten that completely wrong. We'll let Esther tell it later during the announcements. Um, I'll move on. I'll stick to my text. Um, And you can also give. You could give to them. But I want to encourage you to give to St. Bart's. Because what we do is we partner with people in the congregation who are champions of these localized vessels of outreach. And so that when you give to us, we can then in turn give to them. So that we can actually build partnership with these organizations where we're not just giving them money, but we're actually coming alongside of them in ministry. We're actually um, praying for them regularly, getting to know them, the, the the frontline workers and the people that they're helping, and we're with them to make a difference. That's one of the great things I'm excited to explore in the new year is how we can continue to wait actively with expectation that God's kingdom has begun here in our midst and that victims of conflict can begin to see a difference in East Dallas by the love that's being shown to them through these agencies and through the local church. What does it mean to wait with anticipation? Well, someone is arriving. Isaiah calls the people of God to live now, in verse five, in light of the promised future. His exhortation applies the nation's future rallying cry. Of the future can be made present. What does it look like today to live in light of tomorrow, of what's beyond the horizon? What does it look like today to live in anticipation that Jesus is returning? What does it look like today to wait with expectation? It's difficult, isn't it? How does it sit with you? Because it's meant to be as much a heart issue as it is an intellectual reality to grasp. And if the heart is heart, oh no wait, if the heart is hard, why? Maybe you once had expectation and something happened and your heart's been crushed. What about waiting with anticipation? Well, maybe something's happened and your heart has been bruised. And the great verse that I've always taken to heart is that a bruised reed, Jesus will not break. and a smoldering wick, he won't snuff out. And so the way back from a bruised heart and a crushed spirit is to quote Judy Kaczewski, who said this to me and to others, I'm sure, is to bring the pieces of your broken heart to him. And to see if Jesus invites you to forgive the one that has hurt you. And if he's invited you to forgive, maybe, just maybe, he's going to ask you to ask for forgiveness for how you've responded to the one who's hurt you. But you have to be aware of Condemnation. When Jesus invites you to forgive or to ask forgiveness, it's always laser accurate. Condemnation is like a cloud, a storm cloud that comes over you and it just, it's just awful. Um, Some of you know that Rachel and I lost a dear friend on the 14th of November. And what was so difficult is that we only found out he'd been sick three days before. He'd kept it to himself, he didn't share, didn't want anyone to know. And on last Wednesday, I found myself in, as the Brits would say, a right state. I was just full of condemnation that I had been an awful friend, that I hadn't done enough, and that part of the reason why he died was, you know, because something to do with me. And I know enough to be dangerous, right, because I counsel people walking through grief all the time. Um, And so, you know, I sat with it, and I just felt terrible, and... I couldn't hinge it on one thing, but I knew that there was a general malaise about me that was just awful. Uh, And I, so I picked up the phone and I called Philip, you know, our bishop. And I said, you got a moment for for a quick call? I lied to him because I knew it wouldn't be quick, but I thought I'd get him for a quick call. And, uh, you know, bishops aren't exactly going to hang up on their priests, are they? Um, And, you know, he listened and he listened. And before he prayed, He said, listen, the things that you're saying, it's just not who you are. Had you known, you would have helped. That's who I know you to be. This isn't guilt. This may be guilt, but this isn't right. I'm gonna pray for you. And he prayed. And I felt better for a bit because if only grief could be handled that easily. So you've gotta beware of condemnation but be open to the leading of Jesus to help heal your heart. That's what Advent's about, because as the heart heals, expectation returns, as does the anticipation, and we find ourselves able to wait actively, not passively. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, lead us, teach us, guide us, enable us to wait, not passively, but actively in expectation and anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen.